Well, happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here and also watching online with us. And uh, You don't get quite the billing moms do, but that's probably for reason because of stupid stuff like that, right? Well, glad y'all are here today. Appreciate you being here, and I'm glad to be back. Very thankful for the thoughts and prayers and um, for James filling in for me the last couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, these things happen, right? We've all been there with those... Uh, one of those trips, you know, and you get sick. So just very thankful for good doctors and medicine and, and getting, getting back on my feet. So that last song, um, uh, how do we look at life? Um, how do you look at life? How do I look at life? Is uh, really important because the way you were raised, the way I was raised, we were taught, we've experienced only what we've taught, been taught and experienced. And that kind of shapes the way we look at the world, we look at people, we look at things. And so what I wanted to ask you this morning is, what thing in your life have you believed and practiced for a long time that later you said, I don't think that was right, and you've changed or shift your thinking on that? Now, I'll start with something very simple. Um, have you ever sang lyrics to a song for years? And then all of a sudden somebody goes, what are you singing? <laughs> and you realize, oh, that's what it says? And you realize you are not singing the right lyrics. That's happened probably to all of us. Or, or maybe a brand of something that just your family, we always get this brand of this or whatever, and finally you just go, no, I've got I to go outside of that. Like my dad was a big German car guy, and I remember buying my first Japanese car, and there was this jaundiced eye cast at me like, what are you doing, you know? Um, but you're like, oh, and there's just high maintenance, you know, and these guys are anyway. You, you change, and there's a, a shift. Uh, here's another one that was in my life. How many people grew up being told that the King James Version was the version? And then, lo and behold, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, and like, wow, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, not in 1600 by King James, with a, with a little bit of not so much objectivity there. And you learned that what well, was a version of the Bible, but that's not the only version of the Bible. But here's one that I think is very important, and we're going to look at today in our passage and in our text. The way your family or the way you and your family and people like you and your family looked at other people who were different. Maybe in the way they looked, maybe in the way they acted, maybe they were in the, the way they were raised and you were told over the years, well, those people, and they told you this about that. And you didn't really know, but you just had heard that those people do this, or they act this way, or they're this way because, or whatever. And you just kind of process all that stuff. And sometimes, as you move on in life, you go, wait a minute. I was told this about that group of people, but my experience has been different. Why was I told that? Why did I have that preconceived notion about that? Why was that? And if I had kept believing it, I would have lost a sense of who those people really are if I had kept going down that road. And we probably all have stories about lessons that we've learned over the years that we've had to maybe shift and say, wait a minute, that's not really who I am. I know I used to believe that, I know I was taught that, but now I've learned differently. And so our text today is about two men who were born and raised in very different environments, very different cultures, but eventually they were brought together in the same region, in the same part of history. And God supernaturally brought them together to accomplish a major step 
uh, in making disciples of all nations, converting people from where they were to becoming full followers of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read that in the book of Acts today. If you haven't been with us, that's okay. But I've been doing a series called Conversion Factor. And we're looking at the book of Acts in the New Testament. So we go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. But really it's the Acts of God through the Holy Spirit through the apostles in the world to bring about the early church in that first century and how it got started. And specifically, we've been looking at the factors involved in the different conversions of people in that book, where they were in life to becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And it started in Jerusalem, you remember, on the day of Pentecost. We talked about that one Sunday in the second chapter where the Holy Spirit came in this way where there were like tongues of fire on their head. And all of a sudden, the disciples were talking in different languages and people go, how do they know my language? There's no way they knew that. This has got to be of the Holy Spirit. Something is happening here and this has got to be of God. And we saw that the Holy Spirit came. And one week, Jonathan shared about the story of the Ethiopian official who um, was sitting in a chariot, but he had been to Jerusalem. He was a proselyte. He had converted and become Jewish and he but still did not understand the story of Jesus. And so Philip went and explained to him who Jesus was and he was baptized. And then another week we looked at how Philip and others were scattered out of Jerusalem. And just from the Jewish context and to the Jewish people to Judea and into Samaria. And that's exactly what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Because you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and into Samaria and all the way to the ends of the world. And this wasn't going to happen naturally because people wanted to keep it to themselves. They didn't want to go out. But because of the persecution, Philip went to Samaria and then it started bl blossoming from there. And we're going to read about a very em uh, emphatic part of, of what happened to the Gentile community in this particular chapter we're going to look at in chapter 10. And I want to emphasize again how all these stories we've looked at, and we're going to look at another one today, it is the power of the Holy Spirit is the clear, clearly the main factor in these conversion experiences. Yes, there's people involved, but the Holy Spirit has had to come in and push us in a direction maybe we don't want to go. So a little background on our text today, we're going to talk about uh, a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion living in Caesarea. And it says in the first part of chapter 10, we're not going to read that first 24 verses, but I encourage you to go back and read chapter 10. But it says he was a God-fearing man. He prayed on a regular basis to God. He was very generous to poor people, and that the Jews in that region respected him. Now, this was no easy task to get the respect of the Jewish people being a Roman centurion. You're the occupier. You're in our country, and we don't want you to be. You have the power in our country, and we don't want you to have it. We're under your thumb. You cause us to pay taxes. Every time we walk around the corner, there's one of you standing in our country running things, and we don't like that. So to have the respect of the Jewish people was a huge thing. So Peter, who we're going to also talk about that, he's about 30 miles away from Caesarea, and he's staying in a little town called Joppa with a man named Simon the Tanner. That was his job. And uh, both Cornelius and Peter, on the same part of the day, on the same day, have this supernatural experience where they go, this is not normal. This is God. God is saying something specifically to me through what I'm experiencing today. And this is big. This is way bigger than me. So we're going to read that in chapter 10 of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, 
or your personal devices, it'll also be on the screen. Listen, and we're picking up from uh, uh, in verse 24. So Peter has had this vision. Cornelius has had an angel come to him, and he says, you guys are going to meet up. Peter's going to come to your house, Cornelius. You're going to send men to get him, and this is what's happened. So Peter is arriving. So verse 24, the following day he arrived, Peter and Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not... Show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So I want us to look at this text a little closer. I know that was a lot. Y'all still with me? All right. So this was significant historical day in the life of the world, but specifically Gentile believers. They have been believed that they weren't worthy of the God of the, of the Jews. The Jews had made them feel that way. They had been made to feel that way. But Luke is the writer of Acts. And interestingly, there are two other stories in Acts about a centurion. One in uh, Luke 7, who's the same writer of the Gospel of Luke as Acts, he, has this, uh, he writes about this encounter one day that Jesus has um, with a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and says, I have a servant who is very sick, and I want Jesus to heal him. I hear he has the power to heal. And so Jesus is on his way. They go, no, you don't have to come. All you have to do 
is say the words. I'm a man who tells men to do this or do that, and they do it. I understand that authority. You have that, Jesus, so just say the words, and my, my servant will be healed. And Jesus is astonished. I haven't seen this kind of faith in all Israel, he says, but this enemy of Israel, this Gentile, this one who's not good enough, is the one who says, I know the power of God and I trust that you do it. And sure enough, his servant was healed the very day that Jesus gave the word. But we also read about another Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, if you remember, as he looks up and he sees all that happens at the, at the cross that day, even after the earthquake, he goes, surely I was part of putting this man on the cross, but surely this man is and was the Son of God. So a Roman centurion has a background again with Jesus as we look as the church goes forward. So both men were praying at the same time of day, some 30 miles apart. Okay, so um, uh, Cornelius is in Caesarea praying at three, and so is um, Peter in Joppa. But interestingly enough, what we need to understand about Cornelius before this, uh, obviously he has adopted the God of the Israelites which is amazing if you think about it. Before this, he was probably polytheist. And when you say that, what? That's just one of those uh, expensive words, Craig. No, polytheist means he believed in many gods being brought up in Rome. There's all these different gods, and we worship them all. We need this for crops. We need this for the sun. We need this for the rain. We need this. There's all these different temples. It would blow your mind. And he grew up in that environment. But it is obvious that somewhere along the line, he has become a monotheist. I don't believe in all those gods anymore. There has to be one true God, and that's the one I believe in, the God of Israel. And I know they're my enemy, and I know they think I'm their enemy, but I believe in their God, and I believe there's only one God who could have created all of this and created us. So he is worshiping. He's very devout. And so Cornelius does not move ahead in this without gathering his family together. And uh, this is a huge factor for his openness to the gospel, is that first of all, he's become a monotheist, and he believes in the uh, God of Israel. But Cornelius does not move ahead and say, I'm just going to see how this goes. I'm not going to tell my family about seeing the angel because they're going to think I'm crazy. And I'm not going to tell my friends because they're going to think I'm crazy. I'm just going to see what happens. No, he tells everybody. You know the God we worship? Yes. Well, he had sent a messenger to me and said, I'm supposed to send for this guy named Peter who's a Jew. And they're going, a Jew? You're going to bring a Jew into our house? You know they're not even allowed. They're going to say they're not, you know, we're not worthy of that. And so there's probably all this kind of discussion. But he goes, no, we're all going to be here. And we're going to trust that God's going to do something big through this. This has to be from God. So I thought about being Father's Day. Think about what a step it is that this father and husband is saying, I'm the, I'm the spiritual leader of our family, and we're all going to gather, and we're going to at least listen to what he has to say. God's doing something not only in my life, but in our family's life, and we want to know what it is. And so they had to step out of their comfort zone. So Peter immediately lets Cornelius know. You notice he walks into the house, and Cornelius falls down and, and almost worships him. And he's like, get up, man. I'm just a man like you. This is not the Roman world here. We don't fall down at Caesar's feet. We don't worship all these other gods. There's one true God. I am not that. I am simply a servant. I am a spokesman. So get up and let me tell you what God has come to tell you. So Peter then addresses the elephant in the room, so to speak. And that elephant in the room is, he says, You are well aware it is against our laws for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. Now is that right, y'all? Nobody nod or shake your head, just think about it. Is that right? It was part of the Jewish law, but was it part of the original Mosaic law 
that you couldn't associate or hang out with the Gentiles? I know y'all are going, I have no idea. Let me ask you this question. Did you hear about, y'all know about hearing about Pharisees and Sadducees in the Old Testament, right? Don't shake your head yes, because no, you don't. So at the end of the Old Testament, we hear about religious leaders and prophets in the Mosaic Law, but all of a sudden we have this end of the Old Testament, Malachi, it's not Malachi, it's Malachi. I'm just seeing if y'all are paying attention, all right? And then you have like a period of 425 years where there's nothing, and all of a sudden we open up and there's Matthew. So where did Pharisees come from? All of a sudden we open up the New Testament and we have Pharisees and Sadducees. Where did that come from? And guess what else happened during that 425 years? Over 600 new laws were added to the Mosaic laws. They weren't God's laws, they were men's laws. And so Peter has been believing for so long during that period that there was the Mosaic law, but then there's these other laws, and Gentiles, we're not even supposed to go in their house or associate with them. Was that from God? Or was that for man? Well, Peter's finding out it was for man. But he had been taught to believe that his whole life. So he goes, the elephant in the room is, I'm not supposed to be in your house. And you know I'm not supposed to be in your house. But we know God is doing something powerful here because how did he know I was staying with Simon the Tanner? And how did you know that when we're 30 miles apart? That has to be God. God is doing something. There's no longer the old covenant, but there's a new covenant now. And we need to open our eyes to what God's trying to teach us. And notice that Peter says, I know what the law is. You know what the law is according to us Jews. But God has shown me. But God has shown me through this situation. Y'all remember, and we didn't read it, but in that first 20-something verses, Peter has this vision where there's this sheet that falls down while he's in a trance and he sees all these unclean animals according to the mosaic law you're not supposed to eat those and he hears a voice say kill and eat peter and he goes no i've never eaten any of those unkosher things but he goes don't say what god has created is unclean now this was about dietary laws but god was going a step deeper it's not just about dietary now god had a reason for that because if you ate certain things you could get sick i well know about that okay And there was a reason behind that. But through the years, people had added other things, man-made rules, that were excluding people from God rather than including people towards God. And Peter's going, wow, how did I miss this? And what's interesting about this, too, is Peter missed this even being with Jesus. When did the religious leaders get most mad at Jesus when he hung out with who? Sinners and Gentiles. Peter saw him doing it. He saw him talking to the woman at the well. And they go, oh, what are you doing, Jesus? You're not supposed to do that, Jesus. Jesus goes, what do you mean I'm not supposed to do that? Is that from God the Father? Is that from me the Creator? Or is that from man? And so he had been to Pentecost and received the Holy Spirit. He had been encouraged about the Samaritans because at least they were half Jews. But he didn't really believe in his heart that the gospel message was for pure Gentile people. And God has shown him that he was wrong. He has been exclusionist. He's had an exclusionist attitude, maybe even a deep-seated resentment for the uh, Gentiles because they crucified Jesus. And anyone not Jewish um, didn't really need the Bible because we are God's chosen people, but God showed him this was not right. So Cornelius' encounter with the angel said, this matches up with the same time, the same time we were both praying to the same God, and he speaks to both of us in different ways, but he's speaking to both of us. This has to be 
of God. And in verse 33, he says, Now we are all here, Cornelius is speaking, in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to teach me. Cornelius is again showing he's monotheistic. We're in the presence of God. God is viewing everything we do. Now, we believe that. Yeah, God knows everything. But do we really believe that? That God is listening into your conversation today. He's listened to my conversation at lunch today. At our Father's Day gatherings, He's a part of that. All of that, God is in our presence. And He says, we know God is observing what's going on here. And we want to hear everything that the Lord is commanding. And that's interesting because he is a Roman centurion. And a lot of the Romans thought, the Jewish people are crazy. We don't understand their religion. It's nuts. They have all these rules. We don't understand it. But he is not disrespectful. He says, I want to hear everything. And notice he is a righteous man according to the law. He's been praying. He's been given alms. He's a devout man. He's in. But he's got, no, I want to hear what I really need because I know those righteous acts. That's not... I'm not righteous because of those acts. I'm righteous because of something else. And what is that? And he's getting ready to hear what it is. And it's Jesus. He was a military leader. He was a Gentile. He was a former polytheist. An enemy of Israel. Part of the group who crucified Jesus. And Peter was seen. This man who's supposed to be my enemy. Who's not supposed to be as good as I am. I'm seeing his faith and his humility and his eagerness of this man. Of someone I wanted to hate and exclude. And he's showing me who God really is through. He's not just a skeptic. He's going, well, let me see what you got. Let me see if I'm going to believe this for me and my family. No, they're like, tell us. We're waiting to hear it. This has to be from God. And so Peter preaches a sermon. And he reiterates what God had taught him about showing favoritism. He goes, God, show me now. I've been wrong. So let me tell you the story about Jesus. Now, this is a different sermon than he preached on the day of Pentecost. It's more specifically to Gentiles as you read as I read it out loud and you followed along and Peter clearly points them to Jesus not to him not to Judaism but he points them to Jesus in a relationship with him and so verse 40, 44 while he's preaching while he's talking to this group of people it says the Holy Spirit came upon them this was another Pentecost-like experience to emphasize that God was empowering the Gentiles just like he did the Jews in verse uh, in chapter 2 of Acts the Holy Spirit came upon Jewish people, but now it's coming upon Gentile people. And they needed to see this. And notice, up until this point, no one got the Holy Spirit unless Peter and the apostles laid hands on them or they were baptized. But they went out of order now. What? God went out of order with salvation? Yes, because he needed the Jews to see. He didn't need your hands. He didn't need you to be involved at all because God was saying, Gentiles are my people, they're my children, they're valuable, they matter to me, and Jesus died for them too. And so they realized, wow. Even the way Luke writes it, it says that the other Jews with him were astonished even, even at the Gentiles. That even sounds prejudiced, doesn't it? Even the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit. Like They really didn't deserve it, but God gave them a break. No, we all needed the break, right? We're, we're, we're lost without Jesus. And so these are questions that Peter and Paul and millions over the years have had to wrestle with, with being a lifetime follower of Jesus Christ. And so today the question is, well, what, that's a great story, Craig, but what does that have to do with us? Well, here it is. Can we sometimes be wrong in our thinking and beliefs? Yes, we can. 
What is God showing you in your life right now that you might be wrong about? Now, it needs to be a biblical truth, y'all. It can't be what I feel, what the culture feels, or how far we've progressed. It has to be biblical truth. And there's a difference between biblical truth and religious conviction. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? King James is the only version. That is not biblical truth. That is religious conviction, or that is what I might call traditional persuasion. Now, your grandmother or your mama could have told you some things. Your church that you grew in, grew up in may have told you some things that you thought were biblical truth, but you never looked and see if it was really in there. You ever had those situations? I remember one of the most embarrassing times in my life I had a sweet lady from this church was upset because women were serving communion. And I said, why are you upset with that? She goes, because in the Bible it says only men can serve communion. I was embarrassed. I was like, you're 80 years old and you've been reading the Bible your whole life. That's not in there. And I loved her and I knew she loved me. And I said, no, ma'am, it's not in there anywhere. Another Christian can serve the body and blood of Christ to another Christian. doesn't matter what, if they're male or female. But she had believed all this time. She had been brought up and raised in the tradition that said, it's got to be a man. And it has to be a man because it says it in the Bible. And she never even read that, but she believed it. Was, was Peter sincere in his belief that he shouldn't go in the house of a Gentile? Absolutely. But can we be wrong about things even though we're sincere about them? Yes. Nod your heads. Yes, we can. <laughs> okay? I mean, my, being a Father's Day, my kids humble me all the time with that kind of stuff, you know? Like, Give me your phone, Dad. You're an idiot. You're wrong. This is how it works. There you go. I was wrong. I thought I knew how to do it, but I didn't. But we can be wrong. But remember, it has to be a biblical truth that you can read, that I can read, that anybody can read and study and observe. But if it's a religious tradition or a traditional persuasion, where did that come from? Is it really biblical truth? And again, these are questions that Peter and Paul and all Christians. We are never too wise. We are never too old. We are never too smart. We are never too enlightened or educated to learn something new that can transform us and allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to connect with us and maybe through us to another person. We're never two of those, any of those things. But are we open to that? Well, I want to close with two illustrations that God has shown me lately. So I got to go to Guatemala, and I want to thank you all for that. Being your preacher, being able to go on that trip is an amazing thing. And being able to take my two daughters and, 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 and do that trip with them was amazing. So I'm very grateful for a church that believes in that and, and supports us in doing that. So um, we y'all know we built a house, and at the end of the three days when we dedicate the house, the family comes and we give them a Bible that we've all signed. We give them the keys to that house, and it's a very emotional thing. But let me tell you something that I was taught as a kid, as a man, as an American man. You don't cry. You don't show emotion. And it was almost like biblical. Are you, stop, dry it up. Stop crying. Big boys don't cry, all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So you, I learned to not be emotional, to not cry, because you don't do that. You don't, people don't want to see that. That's embarrassing. That's dramatic. That's, nobody wants that. So at the dedication, I was so proud of Luke Stavely. So the pastor was there, sweet as she can be, but she was doing a lot of talking, as we do, okay? And she was kind of talking a little more. And so, you know, Luke said, hey, we want to hear from the father, Rufino. We want him to talk, okay? Can we, can we hear him talk? So he steps up, y'all. He's this little bitty guy who's had horrible things happen to him and his family. And, y'all, he's overwhelmed with emotion. He's crying. And I'm standing where I can see him, but in between him 
and where I am, I can see his sons, and they're looking at their dad and going, I mean, their mouths are like, oh my gosh, my dad is really upset. But yet he's really happy at the same time because we've just got a house. But they're watching their dad, and he's just tears, and he keeps giving the glory to God. But y'all, he had had his house burned down at some point. He, he kept saying, I am so overwhelmed because y'all have no idea how hard I've tried to support my family, and I can't. We've been sleeping on the ground, and my kids are getting wet, and they're getting sick, and I've done everything I can. I work so hard, and I just can't make enough money. I, don't, I, I just don't understand why God is giving us this house. He just didn't understand. And part of my lie commandment that I was taught as a young man was I'm like, first of all, I'm going, stop, dude. You're crying in front of the whole neighborhood. Because there's neighborhood people here. You're crying in front of all the gringos. This is embarrassing. Stop. Get it together. Just say, thank you very much. Praise God. That was not a biblical truth that I was taught, that men aren't supposed to cry and show emotion, y'all. It wasn't true. I get it, but I was going, what is wrong with me? And I just had to relax and go, this man... We all needed to see him cry. We all needed to see. His sons needed to see him cry. I think about it on Father's Day. They need to know dad has a heart. He has been busting his tail for our family and nothing has gone right. And now we have a house and he's given all the glory to God. So God showed me that day, y'all. I was wrong. And then so happens I'm on a plane coming back and you get to watch movies in three hours, right? So I'm scrolling through the movies and... I know y'all are going to go, oh, he always has to talk about baseball. I, you know, sorry. But I was, saw 42, the Jackie Robinson movie, and I hadn't seen it yet. So I'm like, oh, this is great. I'll watch this. So as I'm watching that, and a lot of y'all have seen it, I'm noticing that, you know, Jackie Robinson comes into lead, and, and Branch Rickey was a pretty amazing guy, obviously. But anyway, he, he has Jackie come up, and all of a sudden the Dodger players are realizing, okay, we've got this black guy on our team. No, some guys are really mad about it. They're ready to quit, and Branch Rickey goes, that's fine. You can quit, but... He's going to be on our team. And the coach like, he's going to be on our team. If he can play ball, we don't care. We want to win a World Series. I don't care what color he is. And so some of those guys had to just suck it up, and they were mad. But all of a sudden, the Dodger players are going to hotels and restaurants that they've been going for the last 10 years, and people go, y'all can't stay here. You can't eat here. And they're going, what do you mean we can't stay here? We've been here? We've been coming here for 10 years. What do you mean we can't stay here? And they're mad now, and they're going, it's because of Jackie. But now all of a sudden, they go, wait a minute. People really think like that. People really act like that. They're treating one of our teammates like this is wrong. Some guys didn't bother him, but a lot of guys go, this is wrong. This is our teammate. I've gotten to know him. He's a good ball player. He's a good man. Just because he's got black skin doesn't matter. And so all of a sudden it gets worse and worse, and they're hearing Jackie. Every city they go to, every restaurant, every hotel, they're hearing people slurs at the ball games. They're yelling and booing him. And they're going, what in the world is wrong with you people? So all of a sudden, there's this great scene in the movie at Crosby Field in Cincinnati. They're going to Cincinnati. And as soon as he runs out on the field, everybody's booing and yelling, you know, racial slurs. And Pee Wee Reese has just about had enough. And he walks across from shortstop to first base while they're warming up. And he stands next to him, and he puts his arm around him, and he just stands there. And everybody notices. And he's got family. He's from Louisville, Kentucky, and he knows a lot of his family is there to see him play. And he just stands there for a minute and he goes, thank you, Jackie. And he goes, what are you thanking me for? And he says, I got a bunch of family up there in the stands from Louisville here today. And they need to know. They need to know who I am. And he just stood there for a minute. 
and he wouldn't take his arm off of Jackie's shoulder. He's going, this is my teammate. This is my friend. I don't care how much y'all boo. I don't care what y'all yell. That's wrong. Shouldn't be treating this man like this. And finally, the umpire goes, you going to play ball or you're going to socialize shortstop? You know, and so he, he kind of breaks up the meeting. But man, that was significant. And I went back and looked, as a lot of y'all do, said, Google, did that really happen? It really happened. And Jackie and Jackie's wife said it was a significant day in the life of Jackie Robinson for Pee Wee Reese, a star, to say, this is wrong for the way you're treating this man because of the color of his skin. And so there's, now y'all know today is Juneteenth, right? Okay, I swear to y'all, I had never heard that till 2020. Was that an accident? Was that an accident that in all my schooling I never heard? Juneteenth may not mean anything to us, but for a significant group of people, it is huge. Why was I not taught that? I don't know the answer to that. But it is today, and there's a group of people that are excited about it because, you know what, we don't have a clue what that was like. But for them and for some of their family members, it was a big deal. And watching that movie reminded me, oh, that's stupid. We're not going to make that a national holiday, are we? To those people, it's important. To those people, it's very important. And so I think about those two lessons, and God's got to always teach all of us. But just like our text today, Cornelius and Peter were both raised very differently. The day of Pentecost is important for us as Christians, but guess what? This day for Gentiles is a big day for them because it's the day they got the Holy Spirit. Not the Jews got the Holy Spirit, but the days the Gentiles got the Spirit. That's a special day for them, and we need to understand that, that God intersected these two men in their lives so that both of them would learn a lesson, both of their families would learn a lesson, but more importantly, that in history, people would learn a lesson. And those are lessons we need to learn because ultimately they don't just affect us, they affect the rest of the world. So who is God intersecting your life with today? Who's that coworker? Who's that kid at school that you're going, why does God keep putting this kid in my life or this person? Maybe there's a reason and God's trying to teach you something, trying to teach me something. Well, we're going to offer an invitation this morning. Uh, maybe there's somebody here today that you've been told that Christianity's a crutch. It's just something that people do. It's just a religion that man made up. The Bible's just a book that was written by a bunch of humans, it's not really God's word. Well, you can believe all that stuff, or you can do your research and say, what is the truth? Why was I created? What was I created for? And in the person and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find answers to all of that, that we were created for a purpose, and that God wants us to know that purpose and to live that purpose out. And Cornelius finally found that out. In a very difficult culture, he found that out. So we're going to offer an invitation. Our, our, uh, our praise team is going to lead us. But if you have a decision to make, I would love to be a part of helping walk you through that. To know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to become baptized and receive that Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're looking for a church home and y'all, we are not perfect. We're going to mess things up over the years we have. But we're going to be committed to saying, is it is it cultural rules is it man-made rules or is it god's truth that we live our lives on and that's what we want to be committed to here at this church so i'm gonna ask y'all to stand and we're gonna sing and prepare for communion part of what we do during this time is to prepare our hearts for communion but if you have a decision i'll help you walk through it as, as we sing so let's let's focus in on jesus and, and what he's done for us at this time <clears throat>